Our New Testament reading is from Matthew 28:16 through 20, uh, page 835 in the Pew Bible. And this is from the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The very word of God. And our next reading is Luke 10, 1 through 9, 30 some pages on into the Bible, page 868. So if you'll follow with me, this is Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborers deserve his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. The very word of God. Oh, I love that um, that song that they just sang. The context, probably when they were writing it, was was Jesus inviting Peter to step out of the boat and to and to trust him? I mean, it was something so um, so illogical as as Peter walking on water. Um, the impact of that is no different today than it was then that just doesn't happen right people don't just step out of boats and actually walk on water people people don't as as um Doug was reading people don't walk into a community and say peace be upon you right and then then wait and see if that peace comes back i, I mean it begs the question is this real? Is the God of the Bible that we that we talk about and that we sing about? I was just singing with gusto. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Right? Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would come. I mean, it's so easy to sing that, and and so hard to live that. Right? Not not because it's inherently difficult for Jesus, but because somewhere. It, in the translation from his mouth to my heart, 
Not just my ears. I can hear it fine. But my heart, something gets lost in the translation. I begin to think to myself, God doesn't work that way anymore. And so when he says to us, heal the sick, um, we say, yeah, call emergency. Call 911, right? Um, No, that's not what he said. When he says to them in Luke chapter 9, when he did a parallel thing and sent out the first 12 disciple makers who would make disciples, um, he said, cast out demons, feed the hungry, preach the gospel. And, and our ears just receive that so easily. And then our hearts step in the way and say, God doesn't work that way anymore. I want to push you today. And ask you to believe with me for 35 minutes that God does act that way, even now. And the question is not really whether he acts that way, but whether or not we would believe him. As we pray for our time together in God's word, I want to remember we just learned, well she's gone, we just learned a few moments ago that Doris's mother-in-law was taken to emergency this morning. And so her name is Jean. Let's pray for her and for our time in the Word together. Can we do that? God, thank you that that you are a very real and present help to us in our time of need. And for Doris, for Mark and Tate, who I believe is in town, um, God, I I pray that uh, that you would calm their hearts as they rush through that Uh, to the emergency room as they seek to find out what's going on with Jean's life. We just pray that you would uh, grant them everything we're talking about here right now. You would grant them your peace and your presence. And God, that they might be able to speak that peace over Jean. And then God, as she has physical needs um, this morning, we just pray that you would meet those and you would glorify yourself through that healing. God, I pray for that for us too. That as we come here, I sense tentatively, I'm not even wanting to own the very real needs that you know we have and we know we have. Um, God, would you allow us to entrust those needs to you as well? Speak to us, Jesus. Speak to us words of life. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Amen. Well, wow, what a privilege it is to to come back again to both our memory verse, but probably um, one of two or three absolutely definitive passages in the Bible. Over the last two weeks, Chad and I have challenged you, uh, you know, what is God's purpose for your life? And you, you didn't pull any punches last week. You, you said, Chad, this is God's purpose for your life. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, his purpose for you is that you would make disciples who make disciples, right? His purpose for you is that you would make disciples who make disciples. The question for us is not, is that... If we, if we trust his word, the question for us is not, is that, is that God's purpose for it? The question for us is, how do we do that? What does that look like in our culture? Many of you, maybe 30 of you this morning had a chance to wrestle with some of that already. I'm excited. I'm going to be excited to see how, how you put God's word into practice. 
But, but I want to invite you to that question as well, to ask yourself that question that I challenged you two weeks ago, Chad challenged you last week, um, and Maddie, if you're back there, go ahead and pick up the bulletin notes for us, if you would. How do we do this? How do we make disciples who will make disciples? We saw again in our memory verse the Great Commission where we're challenged to do that. But then today we saw a very practical lesson from Luke chapter 10, exactly how to do that. Let's, let's unpack it together. What, what is Jesus telling us? about how we can make disciples who make disciples. I'm going to pick off some things. I'm not going to be able to hit them all, but I want to invite you to think um, um, more broadly about what's in those that short paragraph, the powerful truths that are in that short paragraph. First of all, understand that you are not alone. We saw that at the end of, of Matthew 28, verse 20. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. You're never alone. Now, Jesus calls us, as we saw in the song, across the waters. He calls us out of the boat. He calls us to put uh, his words into practice. But, but he promises us that we, he will be with us. Jesus will be with us. So even in those moments of darkness and aloneness, and again, our hearts just cry out for Marianne and this new season of her life where she's so much alone, more alone than she has been in a long time. Jesus, you be with her, would you? Jesus, make your presence known to us who are feeling alone right now. But it's so beautiful in the Luke 10 passage as well that Jesus intentionally never sends us out alone. Did you see that? After this, the Lord appointed 72 more disciples. Twelve have already gone out. Seventy-two, and he says specifically others, not the big twelve now, but seventy-two other followers and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, not one by one. He sent them on ahead of him, two by two, and invited them to trust him together. So Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. You can count on that. And sometimes you can't always sense his presence. Sometimes you can't always palpably feel it. But his word is true and he will not send you without him as well. But he also won't send you alone. And if you find yourself in, a, in um, trying to do the will of God in your life alone, let that be a good word to you. Jesus doesn't send people alone. There's somebody in your network. There's somebody in your frame of reference. It might be a family member. It might be a a brother or sister in Christ. There is someone that God has set apart to walk this journey with you. Open your heart to the presence of someone else in your journey. Ask yourself, with whom has God called me? To spend this season of growth together. Who is it, God? Understand that you're not alone. But understand, too, that Jesus is also sending you ahead to prepare the way for him. Understand that you go to prepare the way for Jesus. And it's really easy to think, well, isn't Jesus going everywhere and anywhere? The implication of this is that Jesus is strategic. And at certain points and at certain times, 
He is going to do a mighty work in a, a family system. He's going to do a mighty work in a community. Do it here, Lord Jesus, in Evansville. He's going to do a, a, a mighty work in a whole people group or ethnos. And, and before he does, he sends his women. He sends his men. He sends his disciples ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is constantly expanding the boundaries of his kingdom. It's so, it's so countercultural for us because we like to get very defined lines. The first thing I did when I moved, and I was one of the first people in the neighborhood, but when I moved into the house in about 2000 here, the first thing I did was put up a fence, right? I wanted to define the boundaries of my neighborhood. Now, I had dogs, so that made a difference too. But, but um, okay, this, this, is, this is my kingdom, right? Um, uh, and, and I find myself just wanting to focus on that kingdom, whatever it is, metaphoric or physical. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't set apart groups of people and say, just have a nice little kingdom now and enjoy, enjoy this. He's constantly expanding the boundaries of it. He's constantly inviting us to look further and higher and deeper to draw others to him as well. Their job, the job of a follower of Jesus, of a disciple of Jesus, is to help people discover him, to plant communities of faith, but then to go with him to the outer borders, to those who don't yet know him. Move on, to move on to the places where Jesus is about to go. We saw that in the Great Commission. In your going, right? Make disciples who will make disciples of all people groups. It's been so fascinating to see. One third of the world proclaims themselves to be followers of Jesus. Isn't that astounding? I I want to stop and just celebrate for a second over two billion people call themselves followers of Christ. But here's the deal. That percentage of the world's population has stayed the same for nearly a hundred years. One one third of the world has been followers of Christ or proclaimed themselves followers of Christ for nearly a hundred. The problem is that the world's population is exploding. And so, yeah, there might be two point something billion followers of Jesus Christ, but that means there's four point something people who are going to live a Christless eternity. If, if we won't pick up the words of Jesus, if we won't receive his commission, if we won't respond in your going, he says, in whatever you do, make disciples who make disciples of all people groups. Eric, come on up for just a second. Our brother Eric um, uh, and I had the privilege of, of being um, in a discipleship triad um, a couple of years ago. And, of course, in the triads, one of the things that we do is, is invite you to, um, to pass that on, to um, begin to explore places where, where um, Christ is not. I remember while we were together, we weren't even getting to the point. There's actually a point in our discipleship process where we say, now, who will you pour your life into? But that, that was a moot point at that point because you had already started pouring your life into people at your workplace. Right, right. Tell us a little bit about how, how did you do that? What, what, how did God lead you to begin having an impact in your workplace? 
Well, basically, there was a, a guy that was, uh, he, he actually well, was a different religion, but he had some issues, and we sat and talked about it for a while. And I asked him, I said, hey, would you like to do some Bible study and talk about Jesus? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. So I thought, well, you know, I don't want to just be me and him. Let's get some more people together. So we ended up getting five. We have five or six guys now that get together. It's um, like a year and a half later. A year and a half later, yeah. almost two years now that we've yeah. been doing that, yeah. Oh my gosh! So, so there was a person wanting to hear more about the story of Jesus, and and it, and it sounds so simplistic. You just said, "Would you like to, would you like to learn a little bit about about Jesus from God's word?" Right. Just let's sit down and talk about you it. Know, I, I think a lot study. of us think that oh, that would never happen, but it happened, right? It did. Yes. Now, now that was going. That's been going for about a year and a half. Right. But but you were restless, weren't you? Um, still God, moving. God was still moving. Yes. Yeah. And 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 tell us about where He called you to next. Well, I've had a, and I'll be quick. It usually takes a little time talking about this. But I had a friend, a guy who actually was my table leader, Trace Diaz, who does a lot of prison ministry, and asked mm-hmm. me, "Hey, are you interested in doing prison ministry?" And I was like, mm, "Man, I don't know if God's leading me that way." Um, but I like to work with kids. I coach a team on the West Side, a football team, and I, I like to work with kids. And he asked me to come out one night to uh, YCC to help him with Bible study. Tell us what YCC is. YCC stands for Youth Care Center. Okay. Uh, it's downtown Evansville. So if you don't know what it is, it's actually uh, kids who are incarcerated who are 12 to 17 years old. So they've, they've committed a felony. They've done something wrong. Uh, he, liked, he asked me to come down and do a Bible study. And I said, yeah, great, no problem. You know, uh, let's learn about this. Let me come down and see, you know, what it's about. And um, so went done Bible study, and we did that for several weeks, several months, actually. Um, and then started thinking about it, and I got other people involved because of my involvement with Chrysalis. I thought, man, we could just do more. What, what else can we do? So um, we started uh, basically going down on Saturday nights. It started on Friday nights. We started going down Saturday nights, and uh, we, we do a ministry down there now every Saturday night from 5 till 6.30 where we give a message to the kids. We bring food first. We have to bribe them with food, uh, give them a message of Jesus, and then uh, do some worship and praise and, and – um, we have a lot of fun. Every and Saturday how is night. that going? How are the kids responding? Uh, we've we've had several uh, respond uh, afterwards. You know, the 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 big part of the ministry it's it's starting to grow. Is not only are we doing Saturday night, but we're actually mentoring now. Yeah. We're working with uh, the juvenile court judge, Judge Niemeyer, who is helping us uh, mentoring these kids as they get out as well. So it's right. not just inside; it's when they get out and trying to help them and help their families as well. Isn't so. that fascinating? So people, a lot of us would say probably, well, they're just in there for a short period of time, oftentimes two or three weeks, right? Correct. And so you're thinking, what impact can you have there? Right. They move in They move in and out sometimes two or three weeks. Sometimes they go to residential areas. Yeah. They go out of, you know, in, into the state of Indiana. Sometimes they go to the, the Department of Corrections. That's their, their crimes were so bad, but yeah. we, te- we talk to them and mentor them through that and afterwards as well. Oh, that is awesome. What began as just a, a spot ministry has become a relationship. Right. Leading other people to do this. Can we pray for you? Absolutely. Would you reach out toward Eric? God, I thank you for the ministry at YCC. And I thank you for Eric's willingness when your spirit led him, God, to engage, uh, not only engage an existing ministry, but then to, to be a part of your transformation of that to where now students are, um, young people are being blessed and mentored as they um, return to society. God, thank you for this disciple who's making disciples. We pray your blessing on him and the YCC ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I imagine that if people, you're a little bit passionate about this. <laughs> yeah. It, it, 
Youth Crusaders. There you go. <laughs> okay. I wore my shirt today. So it's you called know, the Youth Crusaders is our ministry. You know that, um, that people are excited about when they make a T-shirt, right? So. That's right. Well, if, if you want to know more about the ministry at YCC, please, um, can you make yourself available afterwards for sure, people? Absolutely. I sure appreciate that, Eric. Thank you, brother. Thanks. Wow. Wow. Constantly saying, yes, something's going well. I, I remember when he first started that because I was, I was a little surprised. No, no. Eric, we don't do that until week 20 of this thing, right? And in and, and week 15, he was already... Um, putting into practice God's word. But isn't it cool also to say that ministry is going on and other people are growing and learning, um, but God's spirit was calling him out across the waters into an uncomfortable place. That's how God works. But he meets us and he goes with us. And as we trust him in our going, he's honored. This is important. And I want to I would just press upon you from this scripture today that you need to understand also the urgency of making disciples who make disciples. Listen to this word again. You've heard it several times already. And Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Isn't that interesting? A lot of us in our minds believe, oh, there's not very many people that want. No. He's saying that's not true. And there's all kinds of people who are waiting for someone, some woman, some man to say, I will be God's vessel to bring you the treasure of this gospel. I will be God's man or woman. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Jesus told his disciples, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So many truths in this, but let's unpack them a little bit here. The harvest is ready right now. We don't have to wonder, is it time? Is it time to, um, to share the gospel? God has already prepared people to receive the gospel. That's not the issue. The problem is that no one is obeying God and being willing to do that. And it could be as simple as saying, would you like to hear what God says about life? Would you, would you like to, to join me and, and, and just listen for God's voice in Scripture and see what God says? It might be as simple as your willingness to respond. But Jesus gave us some clues. Don't just do it randomly. Pray earnestly. Where are you going to go, Jesus? Who are you calling to go with me? As I go to prepare the way for you, who, God, is, is the person that you want me to invest my life into in this next season of my life? We can't wait. This is, this is not for the faint of heart. Did you hear his, his analogy right there? I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, immediately in my mind came a little cartoon of a little lamb frolicking among the what? That cannot end well, right? Jesus never said that this would be safe. He said this would be good, quoting Chronicles of Narnia, right? But he never said it would be safe. He only promised us that he would be with us and that we wouldn't be alone. So, so we have to ask ourselves, are we going to respond to Jesus or are we going to wait for a time when we're, when we're no longer afraid? I'm pretty sure that it will never happen. 
just like it'll never happen for that lamb to walk among the wolves until Jesus comes again and not be afraid. We can't wait until we're unafraid. We can't. We've got to believe his promise and step out in faith now. Now he gives us some very practical ways of doing that. And I'm summarizing it just with the expression that we're familiar with, travel light, right? Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road, he says. What are you talking about? I don't go anywhere without my cash. I don't go anywhere without my plastic, right? I don't, what are you talking about, Jesus? Why would I intentionally go unprepared in that? Some of you explored that in your Bible studies this morning. What did you discover? Well, when we don't have our own resources to rely on, who do we have to rely on? It's like Jesus is saying, I want you to intentionally put yourself in a situation where you have to trust me. Now, I know that that it's tempting here to think about cultural. Well, in those days, it was different. I don't think so. I imagine as a person in Jesus' time went to a town square when they entered a new place. There wasn't a a Motel 6. There wasn't a Holiday Inn for them to stay at when they just went to the town square and stood there. Closest analogy I can experience is plug your ears, kids, when, when I hitchhiked. And I need a ride from here to there. And that's been pretty recent, actually. And, and, and I felt so vulnerable and, and wondering, is anybody going to extend to me hospitality? Do you remember that one? Um, Kristen and I learned it's better not to try and hitchhike with two people together when you're on a backpack trip. Um, and so after a while, we stopped. And I, she went back. And I, I um, just stood out there by myself. And do you remember how God answered that? Do you remember that? Some of the kids in the room were on that trip. Um, later on, they were, they were waiting for me, and they heard this honking, and a 40-foot motorhome went by with me waving out the window at them as I went to get our car. Um, it's scary, but God always provides. He provides. Are you willing to risk trusting even... Even when you're afraid, trusting and believing that God can provide for your needs. Are you willing to spend yourself for the kingdom of God so that you have nothing, that you are nothing of no reputation, of no inherent worth? I know everything in our culture says the opposite. Everything in our culture says you've got to provide for yourself because nobody else will. And God says, I beg your pardon. I am with you. I will provide for your needs. So he says, don't take any baggage. Let it go. The more baggage you have, the less agile you're going to be to respond to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit leads you. You've got to ask yourself, what baggage am I carrying that's a hindrance to me in my going? There's that expression from last week again. In my going. Can I obey Jesus and still maintenance all this stuff in my life. I want to suggest to you that some of that stuff is physical baggage. Some of that stuff is mammon. That is stuff. And how many times have you caught yourself saying, I would do this, but I've got to maintenance this other stuff. I've got a car payment or I've got pets that I need to take care of. I have a house. Who's going to mow the lawn if I responded to Jesus' invitation to trust Him? Uh, This physical baggage will keep you from the kingdom of God. 
And, and in some extreme cases, I think like the rich young ruler, Jesus just said, you've got to unload that stuff. But in most of our cases, we just have to psychologically distance ourselves from trusting in stuff and instead choose to believe and trust in what Jesus is saying as well. And I wish it was just that hard. Physical baggage is hard, but there's stuff that's much more challenging. There's emotional baggage as well, isn't there? There's a litany of things, of ways that we have been hurt or corners that we have painted ourselves into or been painted into that, that hinder our response to Jesus' command to make disciples who are, make disciples. Those, oftentimes it's unmet expectations. I've shared with you many times how I had to overcome uh, all, the, all the narratives, all the tapes, all the things that had been shared with me in innocence in my childhood. I had to, I had to overcome those expectations and, and adopt Jesus' invitation instead. Unmet expectations are a big part of that. I mentioned in our prayer time, broken relationships. Broken relationships often hinder us from doing what we know Jesus is inviting us to do. I'm not, I'm not playing with you. Broken relationships are real. It hurts. It hurts when you're out of relationships. But when you respond to Jesus, Jesus brings healing to those relationships as well. It's hard. It's hard, but Jesus brings healing. Can you trust him? Can you trust Jesus to heal your broken relationships? How about the people that have hurt you, who have wounded you, and you find yourself unable to forgive? Ask Eric a story of his journey with forgiveness. It's been astounding to see how after decades of nurturing hurt and woundedness, God is freeing him to forgive the very ones who hurt him. Unforgiveness. A lot of us, it's not that complicated. A lot of us are just so darn busy that, that uh, we can't possibly make room in our busy lives for Jesus. And all the things that we're busy with are good things. All the things that are consuming our time are good things. They're just not the God thing, right? They're just not the God thing. And, and honestly, we find ourselves often when we're busy finding comfort and identity in being busy, busy people. How many people have bragged to you about how they can multitask, how they can do many different things at once and their, their lives are so full and so busy. And Jesus says, you're very busy with your life, but you're not busy with the business of the kingdom. Oh, and how many of us would respond to Jesus' invitation? We want to partner with God. We want to believe that His Word is true. We want to impact lives for eternity. We want those things, but we're afraid. We're afraid of believing Jesus. We're afraid for what we might lose. We're afraid for what suffering might come our way. And I just told you, He, he promised this is not safe. Oftentimes, suffering is a part of it. And we're so afraid of those things that we can't respond. We've got emotional baggage. 
And as we've explored many times together, for many of us, it's not physical baggage. It's not even emotional baggage. We can trust Jesus for that. But there was a time when we really needed God. Like Jesus really needed him in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was a time when we really needed God, like Jesus really needed him on the cross. And we cried out, God, are you there? And, and we felt like Jesus did, that we were forsaken. And we let time, instead of going face to face with God over it, we let time heal that spiritual woundedness. We let time come in there. We lowered our expectations of God so he wouldn't disappoint us again. We, we got over our anger with God uh, and, 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 and got to a place where we didn't feel the pain anymore, but we didn't get healed from it. We still have that spiritual baggage. God, are you worthy of my trust? Oh, Jesus says, lay all that stuff down. It's too heavy for you to carry. I want to ask you, think about it, but just imagine for a second, and it's not hard to imagine, we've all been there, that you were angry with God, right? Something you needed from Him or you wanted from Him, you did not get it in the, in the way and the timing that, that you expected. How many seconds, how many seconds after entering eternity do you think it'll take for that baggage to go away? Right? I mean, we've seen over and over again that we might have expectations of another person and then find out there's the story is completely different and it goes away like that. Our anger, our hurt, our broken relationships go away like that. How long after you enter the presence of Jesus in eternity do you think it'll take for that baggage to go away? It'll go away like that. You'll know. You'll know then fully, even as John would say, even as you are fully known right now, you will understand what God was doing in your life. Here's the essence of faith. Here's the essence of of following Jesus to believe now, to trust now when you can't see it. That God genuinely does love you and he genuinely is working for your goodness. For your, for your success. God is for you. He's not against you. Put your weight down on that now. Travel light. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. What I really love about this passage, though, is, is how very practical that it is right here. Jesus gives us a way of, of entering a new field, of going to a new place and of making disciples who will make disciples. It went by so fast, and probably your brain just discounted it. Jesus said, whatever house you enter, whatever house you enter, say peace be to this house. And if there is a a son or a person of peace in that house, your peace will rest there. But if not, you will palpably feel that peace return to you. I was exploring this in one of the Sunday school classes this morning, and, and, and we would not have used those terms, uh, person of peace or, or peace return to you, but 
Every single one of us understood the concept. Every single one of us has been in that situation where we did not feel the peace of Christ returning or, or, or landing or staying there and we felt uncomfortable and we knew this was not the place for us to be at that time. You can trust the Holy Spirit to lead you that way. Now imagine instead that I decided that that person, by golly, is going to become a Christian if it kills me, right? I'm going to make sure that they have heard the gospel in this moment. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He said, I've got another way. I've got another way for you to do this. You can try and force the kingdom on people who aren't ready to receive it. But I've got, you see that? The fields are white for harvest. I've got tons of people who are ready and waiting for someone to share the peace of Christ with them. Now find that person. And I'm believing that this, this method that he's inviting us to is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. God has prepared people to receive and exponentially multiply the gospel within their people group. God has already prepared people of peace who, when you are faithful and share the peace of Christ with them, when you share and proclaim that peace to them, they are already prepared. They will influence people you would never touch. They will go into a whole new field like the YCC, like the Syrian refugees, like the, the, um, the North Africans in Marseille, France, that they, as they access that people, the person of peace will take the gospel to them. I want to note again, Chad brought it out so powerfully last week. There's a difference between addition. Addition means you personally share the gospel with every person you expect to receive it. And that, I mean, it's beautiful. If you did that once a day with people, you, three, at the end of a year, 365 people would have heard and, Lord willing, received the gospel. But the, what Jesus is talking here is not addition. He's not talking about addition. He's talking about multiplication. When you find the person that God has uniquely prepared by trusting the peace of Christ, and they begin to share it with their people group, whole families, whole communities, whole ethnos or people groups now gain access and you get to rejoice and praise God and love on that one person of peace. I know we're not used to thinking about that, but I've reminded you before, Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ umpire, your Bible might say rule, but, but, but it's like saying this is where God is going, this is not where he's going. The, the Apostle Paul actually uses that decision-making word. He says, let the peace of Christ umpire. Should I go here or go there? Let the peace of Christ do that with you. Oh, we'll mess this up. We'll, you know, I've, I've tried it and, and failed spectacularly in a couple, a couple times. I can think when I, when I, out of fear, did not risk it and missed an opportunity that God had entrusted to me. Oh, he's faithful. He will accomplish his purposes. I was the one who missed out on the opportunity because I didn't trust the peace of Christ to rule in my heart. So how do we do this? Clearly from this passage, he says, proclaim the peace of Christ. 
Proclaim it, right? And I want to just suggest to you what you are already comfortable with, that the, the greatest way you proclaim the peace of Christ is with your life. With your life. Are you experiencing the peace of Christ? That's why it's so important to let go of the baggage that's robbing us of that peace. Don't take it with you. Don't take it with you, Jesus says. But, but as, you, as your life speaks of the peace of Christ, it actually solves the problem. You don't have to find people of peace. They will find you. They will find you. And they will say, tell me some reason for the hope that I see in you, right? Tell me some reason for the hope I see in you. That was, that was such a blessing in all the testimonies over this last week of Dave Wilson's life to see people who responded uh, to, to Dave's life. He didn't have to say anything. But people came to him and tell me the reason for your hope. And Dave would say, hey, faithfully, have you met my Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? Live. Live conspicuously Christian lives so that, so that people could see Jesus in you. Please note, I did not say conspicuously religious lives, right? That's what our culture is rebelling against. The hypocrisy of people who have the structures of religion and, and the life is not there. Live conspicuously Christian lives, not religious lives. It's not about the forms of religion. It's about the hope that is within you of relationship for eternity with Jesus. Proclaim the peace of Christ with your life and also with your words. When God gives you the person to proclaim peace, speak peace into people's lives. And if they receive it, you found you found the person that Jesus wants you to make a disciple. You found that non-believer who is open to the gospel, right? Invest. Invest in the people who respond. Invest in them. Making disciples is so much easier when we work with God and the people that he has prepared rather than trying to force the gospel on people who aren't just, just aren't ready at this point. So risk. When God puts something on your heart, and when I was thinking about this, I thought of Jake and Hannah, who are playing soccer right now, by the way, because uh, I, I uh, invited them just to talk with me for a moment. But they're in the middle of a soccer game right this moment. And um, when, I, when I thought about this point, I thought about them, because you understand what they're doing, right? They went to France, not for the French people. They went to France because a lot of North African Muslims come to southern France, right across the Mediterranean, come to southern France and, and are educated there or find jobs there. And so, so as they invest in those North Africans, people of peace, the ones who are open to the gospel, as they disciple and make fully devoted followers of, of those North Africans, when they return, they take that gospel to a place that Jake and Hannah can never go. They take that gospel back to northern Africa. What, what does a person of peace look like? This isn't in your notes, but let me just hit three quick things. They're open to a relationship with you. If someone shuts the door on you, don't kick it open. 
A person of peace will be open to a relationship with you. A person of peace will hunger for spiritual answers to their deepest questions. Often they will ask you. And they'll ask questions that you don't know the answers to. And don't feel bad. You are not God. When, when they ask you those questions, they say, let's open His Word together. Let's see what God has to say about life together. And, and risk believing that God will answer their deepest hunger. And, and people who are people of peace will share what they learn with others. That's the multiplication. They will share what they learn. Real quickly, don't assume that everybody who's friendly, I've done this um, quite a bit in my life, I'd assume if someone was friendly to me that they were a person of peace. They were a person open to the gospel. Some people are just friendly to be friendly. I'm not sure, but that Jesus didn't say don't greet people on the way for that reason. There's lots of friendly people who would love to talk with you, but your job is to go where Jesus is about to move. Your job is to go to the people to whom he's called you. And so so don't confuse friendly people with people of peace. Trust God's word to speak to you. And when he does, open your heart. Open your heart to the miraculous. It's not that complicated. And I know that I'm treading on thin ice here in our culture to talk about the miraculous. But did you, God, God commanded you in that passage to heal the sick, Right? If we go back to the Luke 9 version of that, when he's talking to the 12, he would command you to cast out demons. He commanded, commanded you to set the captives free, right? He commanded you to proclaim you, to proclaim the gospel, right? How, how do we understand this? All things are possible with God. We're not talking about snakes and, and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about meeting people's real needs. And if that means that you are going to be the instrument that God uses to heal someone's illness, then congratulations. You are like Jesus. But I have to be honest with you. Most of the time, it's not nearly that complicated. Most of the time, people's needs are very simple. They might need food. They might need, oh, how many people need someone to listen to them? They just need one person whose heart is open to loving them and proclaiming to them the kingdom of God is near you. So open your heart to however God would use you to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to speak the words of life that might just change someone's eternity. And when you find yourself out of water, when you find yourself in that place far beyond what you ever expected, understand that he's already given you the gift to help you do it. Do you remember when, when Jesus had the amazing experience on the Mount of Transfiguration and his triad, Peter, James, and John, saw this amazing display, this foretaste of eternity. It was, it was one of those mountaintop experiences, right? And then they came off the mountain. And those of you who've had mountaintop experiences know exactly what I'm talking about. Crash and burn, right? Um, and they came off the mountain and there was a guy whose son, I believe, was demon-possessed and the disciples had been trying to cast out the demon, right? And the man says, and it was pretty embarrassing, the man says, Jesus, I've been talking to your disciples and they just can't do it. And Jesus said, oh, these things require much prayer, right? You already have the ability to change people's eternities. You already have the ability to heal the sick. You already have 
the ability to feed the hungry. You have the ability already to make disciples who will make disciples. That's not the question. The question is, will you risk believing it? Will you risk doing it? Now, here's the deal. I kind of believe whenever you hear something that God gives you an opportunity that week to put it into practice. Some of you before you get to your cars. Right? God will give you the opportunity to put his word into practice. So I want to ask you some really hard questions real quick. We'll close with this. But ask yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus? I love the way Kyle Eidelman put it. I might be pronouncing his name wrong, but are you a follower of Jesus or are you just a fan? Right? Are you one of those people on the sidelines that says, yeah, you go, Jesus. I'm ready for another miracle today. Or are you one who actually say, no, Jesus, I'm going to put your word into practice. I'm going to believe what you said. Are you a disciple? What do you need to do to become one? What do you need to do to become one? And most importantly, how have you responded to the ultimate person of peace? Because before ever Jesus, Jesus ever leads you to a person through which you're going to disciple, a person that you're going to transform eternities with, you've got to come face to face with the ultimate person of peace, with Jesus, with Jesus himself. Hear the word of God from Ephesians 2. Jesus himself is our peace, who has broken down every wall, who has destroyed every barrier, all those barriers that you're throwing up in your mind right now. Jesus has destroyed those. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing them in his flesh. Jesus has entrusted to you, person of peace, the treasure of his gospel. What will you do with it? What will you do? Who will you tell? Pray with me, would you? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm saying thank you, but I'm so overwhelmed that you would entrust me with so precious a treasure as the gospel, the life-transforming gospel. But thank you that it what seems like foolishness to me that you entrusted that to me. And thank you, Jesus, that you have entrusted that to us. You have put each of us, Jesus, in unique situations where we can influence not just a person, but a family, a community, a people group for the kingdom of God. Oh, help us, would you, Jesus, to put your word into practice? Help us to believe that your word is true. Help us to put our weight down, Jesus, on your command. And we will believe. We will trust, God, that, that this is for your kingdom. We will believe, God, that that. You are the prize. That you are our reward. We will believe, Jesus, that in you we have everything we need. You are enough for us. We love you. And we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.